Good evening. Really enjoy that singing with you. Hey, I wanted to make mention of something real quick. We haven't said this morning. Uh, starting tomorrow, several, several folks will be going back to school. Uh, hard to believe. This summer seemed like it went by in a flash. I'm blinking. It's over. Uh, we got several students going back tomorrow, and I think some others are going back later this week. Uh, and so we wish everybody the best, both teachers and students, actually. So we've got uh, some changes coming, I guess, back to a more of a normal routine. Uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, so I, I do want to take a second and just say a prayer as school gets started. Um, so let's bow together, and uh, then we'll move on with, with the lesson. Father God, we come before you and we just want to lift up those who are going back to school, Father, this week, and some have already started actually. And God, we know that there's some changes here, going from summer back to school and getting back in that routine. God, there could be some students who are moving schools and feeling less comfortable and trying to get used to, to things. God, we pray for everybody going back and we pray for the teachers to, to teach these students and, and help them learn and grow, Father. And Lord, we just pray for a, a great school year and for all of our students here who are going back, we pray for them. And those who are going back to college here soon, we pray for them too, their safe travels and their safe year, Lord. We're thankful for the, the great education that we could have here. And, and Lord, we just uh, can't thank you for enough for, for all the blessings, Lord. We thank you so much for Jesus and pray this in his name. Amen. As you can see on the screen, uh, we are going to be starting a series entitled Majoring in the Minors. I thought that was a clever title. David came up with that one. I don't know if that was original with, with he's shaking his head no. So, um, well, we're going to act like it is, but uh, it's majoring in the minors. We're going to be going over the minor prophets for the next several weeks. Now, there's 12 minor prophets. Sometimes they're just called the 12. Um, and so we're going to be going 12 lessons here on the minor prophetic book. So we're going to be going about through October, I believe it is. So we're going to be in this series for a while. And there, one of the main reasons why we wanted to do this is because the minor prophetic books can, can easily be overlooked. And I don't think they're ones that we go to all that often, but we need to. Uh, these are incredible books. But I, I think sometimes why we may overlook these is because they're, they're at the end of a long New Testament, right? They're the final books of an Old Testament, rather. They're the end of the Old Testament. And, and they're shorter books. They, most of them are very, very short. And a lot of them contain some difficult language, some difficult imagery, some, some difficult principles to, to handle. And, and so maybe those are some of the reasons why. I certainly think that one of the reasons why we may shy away from this is the actual title, The Minor Prophets. I think that's a very unfortunate title for these books. Uh, you know, when we think of something that's minor... We're thinking of something that's really not all that consequential, right? A minor accident, a minor injury. It's something that happened and it's there, but it's not really going to cause us any real problems, right? Or be any type of uh, debilitating to us. But the minor prophets are anything but minor, okay? I, I want everybody to understand that. I, I, I saw several times, you know, minor prophets, major message, there's nothing insignificant about these books or anything minor about them. They are on equal par with any other book in the Bible and, and their counterparts, the major prophets. The, the reason why we call them minor prophets is simply because of the length of the books compared to the major prophets. Consider the book of Isaiah with 60 plus chapters, right? And then you got Obadiah with one chapter. All right, Isaiah being the major prophet, Obadiah being the minor prophet. Now, that's the largest disparity, but... 
but generally speaking, the minor prophets are much shorter in length than the major prophets. And so that's why we've designated this title to them, but I do think it kind of gives a, a negative connotation uh, to these books, but these are in very important books that cannot be overlooked. Uh, very, very important message from, from these prophets. Again, they're speaking messages from God to the people. And we're going to dive into these prophets here over the next several weeks. Uh, I, I love these books. Uh, and, and it started when I was really in college. I had a professor. Uh, we were doing an advanced preaching class. And we had to preach on some of the minor prophets. And he, he was kind of given some background. And he said something to the effect of, uh, if you want to know the heart of God or you want to see the heart of God most clearly, go to the prophets. Not just the minor prophets, but also the major, all the prophets. Go to the prophets. And he expounded on that saying, these books, the, the prophetic books, is God calling out to his people. Pouring his heart out to his people, just hoping they'll return to him. You know, they, they, were, they were wayward. They, they indulged in sin and idolatry. And he's, he's pouring out his heart to them. And he's telling them, if you don't, there's going to be punishment. And God doesn't, it's not that like he wants to punish his people. It's that's what our, our sins deserve is, is punishment. And he's trying to wake his people up that this is coming if you don't, if you don't come back to me. And he, he, you see so many stories uh, here in the Minor Prophets, starting with Hosea, where God's heart is clearly poured out for his people. And these are messages from God to these prophets, to the people. And so we, we, we have to uncover these books, these messages that we see here. And if we don't have these Minor Prophets, we're missing a, a big picture. We're missing a lot of, of history, too. And so this is, these are some very, very important books. Very quickly, I do want us to understand the context of the, the prophets. Uh, we know that the, the Israelites are frequently called a stiff-necked or stubborn people, right? They, they turned from God, from his covenant that he gave them, and they, they just could not seem to just stay put in God's commandments, they wandered off. They wandered into idolatry and other sins. And eventually, again, God said originally, if you follow my covenant, you will be blessed. If you do not, you will be cursed. And he laid out all these curses that are going to happen. And eventually those things came to pass. And ultimately, we know that exile happened. Now, remember, at this point, the kingdom of Israel has been split. It's been divided. Go look at... Uh, Go look at uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 12 with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. The kingdom split, and there's the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, right? And they have these different kings. And all of the Israelite kings are just bad. And, and the kings of, of Judah, some of them are good, but most of them are also bad. And it's within this context of these kings leading the people into idolatry and, and, and all these sins going on that the prophets are, are, are preaching, are, are prophesying to the people, trying to get them to come back to God. But ultimately, the people continued, and the kings just continued to dive deeper into depravity, and certainly there came eventually exile. So what happened is Israel, the northern kingdom, was exiled in 722 B.C. by Assyria, and then later... Uh, in 586 B.C., that's when Judah fell to Babylon. So it's within this context, gentlemen, if we could go back a couple slides. Um, there's a quote here that I want us to read uh, from Richard Allen Fuhrer. I thought this summed it up pretty well. Within the scope of these events, the events of punishment and exile, 
the mission of the twelve was to warn the people of impending divine judgment as a consequence of covenant disloyalty, to call the people to repentance as a means to avert judgment, and to provide a message of hope for restoration after judgment and exile. So this is really the, the context of the prophets, this, this world where Israel and God's people were wandering from him, and they're trying to call them back and warning them, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Punishment's coming, and it does come, and some have to warn during the, the exile, some warn after the exile to, come, to stay faithful to God and to rebuild, and we'll get to those books as well. But I just wanted to very quickly kind of show you where we're at here in the, the history of Israel. Now we want to jump into Hosea. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. It's the first one here in the, the Old Testament of the, the Minor Prophets. Just very quickly, uh, an overview. Number, uh, number one, Hosea prophesied during several reigns of kings of Israel and Judah. Look at uh, 1 verse 1. It says this, The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are kings of Judah. And during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. Again, remember, there's a divided kingdom at this point. So during the reigns of these several kings of Judah, this is when Hosea is prophesying, and in the, the reign of Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam the second, not the first one. Now, there actually were some other Israelite kings who came after Jeroboam that Hosea did see, but Jeroboam is the only one listed here. But from this, we can kind of see that Hosea was prophesying during the mid to late 700s BC. So we're looking at well over 700 years before Christ comes on the scene, Hosea is prophesying. All right? And most, most likely, Hosea prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay, the, the kingdom that fell in 722 B.C. to Assyria. This is likely where Hosea was prophesying. And we get that from context clues within the text. Israel or Ephraim is mentioned several times. Judah is also mentioned but mostly the prophecies are directed to Israel or Ephraim. And again, this was a tumultuous time for them. The kings were not good in Israel, the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam was no exception to that. He was not a good one, or, or the kings that followed after him. And ultimately it led to, to destruction by Assyria in 722. So this is the time when Hosea is prophesying. During this time where the people are not faithful, where things are not going well, and ultimately exile happens. Thirdly here, Hosea's family plays an integral role in this book, particularly in chapters 1 through 3, but it sets the stage for the rest of the book. Number one, Hosea is told to marry a harlot or a prostitute. All right, look at uh, Hosea 1 verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Sometimes God not only gives a message to the prophets to speak, but sometimes they are actually the message themselves, like what they're doing or what they act out. I think about Ezekiel having to do several things. Sometimes they were the message. And Hosea is called to marry a, a harlot, someone who is sexually immoral. And why is that? Well, it's because the land commits flagrant harlotry. The land is turning from God to idols, to other things. And so I was talking to, to Ricky about this. He says, Hosea is the best object lesson there's ever been. All right, it was the clear example of Hosea and his marriage with a, a harlot 
the, the picture was God's relationship with Israel. Israel was unfaithful. And so uh, we'll get to this more in just a second, but this plays a, a huge part in this book that Hosea marries someone who's going to be unfaithful to him. And it's a picture of Israel being unfaithful to God. And we'll, again, we'll jump back to this in, in just a few, few minutes. Not only that, Hosea, again, he has children, and each of these children, they have these names that uh, actually uh, point to some type of of message for Israel. So take a look at the text here in Hosea chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. God calls Hosea to take a wife of harlotry. So he went and took Gomer, that's her name, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Am-I, for you are not my people and I am not your God." So Hosea is called to marry this harlot, and he has children with her, three here. And each of their names point to something that's going to happen. Number one is Jezreel. And Jezreel means God sows, but the connection here in the text is with a guy named Jehu. Jehu was a former king of Israel who, for really lack of a better term, he just went on a killing rampage and got rid of the house of Ahab and killed some others as well. And God is saying, I'm going to bring judgment on the house of Jehu, and I'm going to bring an end to the house of Israel. There's this punishment that is coming, is what he's saying. The second is lo ruhama, which means no compassion or mercy. No mercy, no compassion. This doesn't mean that God ceased to be a compassionate God. That's who he is. But because of the people's sins, God was going to punish them. He had, he had been compassionate towards them, but a time was coming when that compassion was going to be out for them and he was going to punish them for their sins so lo ruhama points to that and then finally this one to me hurts the worst lo am i or lo ami means not my people and we know that the children of israel were god's special people right he had called them and chosen them to be his people and to hear right here to hear him say you're not my people it's really actually their fault it's not god's fault in essence, he's giving them what they want. They're turning to other gods. They're, they're sinning in, in foul ways. And he's saying, okay, if you want to go after these other gods, after these other things that are not really gods at all, well, then go ahead. You're, you're not my people. It's a sad, sad reality here that we see right at the, the beginning of the book. But Hosea's family plays this, this integral role. So let's take a look now, going back to Hosea's relationship with Gomer, this, this harlot, and let's take this and, and, again, apply it to Israel's relationship with God. Again, uh, Hosea 1 verse 2 says this, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take your, to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. I want us to consider for just a second Hosea being called to... to marry somebody who's going to be unfaithful to him. 
Now, if God tells you to do something, absolutely, you've got to do it. But that doesn't make it, it easy, right? This had to have been a, a difficult ask or a different, difficult thing for Hosea to do, yet he did it. He was faithful and he did it. But to, to know that this, this wife was not going to be, not going to be uh, faithful to him had to have been tough, right? But again, this was a, a, a picture of God's relationship with Israel. Israel was the unfaithful spouse, if you will. God has been faithful all along. God had kept his promises. God had done what he said he was going to do, but the people had not. How much had, again, it could have, it's hard for Hosea, but how much harder for God, his chosen people, to turn away from him, to be unfaithful to him, to commit spiritual immorality, if you will. They were turning from him to other gods and forsaking him. How much did that hurt him, his chosen people? And so they're, they're forsaking the Lord. And so if we flip over to chapter 4, I think so very clearly we see uh, God calls out the people for things that they are doing wrong. Things that are, that are happening in Israel and things that, are, that they are missing. And now there are several other places here in the book where he calls them out for things. But I think it's so very clear here in Hosea chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Listen to the words of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Take a look at the things that are missing very carefully here. This is what Israel was lacking. This is what God calls them out for here. He's got a case. He's like a, a lawyer standing there and, and, and bringing these accusations against them. There's no faithfulness. There's no kindness. There's no knowledge of God. The very things that God wants from his people and from you and me is nowhere to be found in Israel. It's gone. This is what they lacked. Here's the thing. And I think it's all wrapped up really in that last part, the knowledge of God. When there is no knowledge of God, you're going to be missing kindness and faithfulness and everything else that's good. And here, we're not just talking about, okay, I know some facts about God. I know that, you know, he created the world and he did this and he did that. That is important. But what we're talking about is a real knowing of God, not just knowing about him, but knowing him intimately, having a deep, committed relationship with him. That was missing. That's missing in Israel. The very person being that they're supposed to have a relationship with, it's not there. And because of that, there's no kindness, no kindness in the land, something that we, we should all be showing kindness to one another. It's not there. There's no faithfulness. We've already really talked about this. That they're turning from God. They're not being faithful to him at all. This is what Israel lacked. The very things God wanted. But then go to the very next verse and look what there is in the land. There's swearing. There's deception. There's murder. There's stealing and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Look at this list here of all the things that are found in Israel. Instead of the things that God wanted, the faithfulness. The, the knowledge of him, they've got all these things. Swearing or cursing, bringing down curses on others, deception, lying, murdering people. There's killing going on. There's stealing, thievery, adultery, violence. Can't help but think that it sounds a little bit like our world, just, just a little bit. Uh, all of these things seem to be present more and more. But instead of the things that God wanted his people to have, 
They had the very opposite things. They had the very things that God detests, that God hates. The swearing, the deception, the murder, the stealing. They had they have died deep in sin here. And so consequences ensue. Look what happens in verse 3. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. I know sometimes I think we may think that, okay, the punishment was coming later, but there were punishments in real time. There were punishments happening. The land was mourning. It wasn't producing plentifully or bountifully, and people were languishing they weren't getting what they needed. And also the animals were, were suffering because of this. Sin brings about consequences, folks. And yes, ultimately the, the consequence of exile. But here in real time, the land is mourning and the people are languishing. And it's because of their sin. Israel's relationship with God here, it's rocky. They had turned to other gods. They had indulged in things, that, the very things that God detested. Let's go back now. Uh, to chapter 3, and I want you to look now at Hosea's relationship with Gomer. It continues. It, 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 so, something so interesting here. Hosea chapter 3, this is the whole chapter. It's only five verses long. Look what it says. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought for her 15 shekels for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. No surprise, Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. She turned and started living an adulterous lifestyle again. She was unfaithful as God had told her, told Hosea to take Gomer, but she was unfaithful and it, it doesn't, Hosea didn't say, didn't just walk away. God says, no, you're going to go get her back. And so Hosea goes back and buys her back, spends his own money and his own resources to get her back and he charges her you're going to be faithful because I'm going to be faithful you're going to not be intimate with anybody else but me and again this is a vivid picture of God's relationship with Israel that they were going to continue indulging in unfaithfulness and indulging in idolatry but God was going to buy them back God was going to bring them back from their exile from, the, from their punishment. And so even in the midst of all the bad things that are going on, God gives hope all throughout the book. God always is pointing to messages of, of hope here. And you see it there at the, at the end. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And I believe this is a, a messianic prophecy uh, to Jesus, the son of David the, the, from the line of Judah, Right? And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. And so even in the midst of their unfaithfulness and turning from God, God, God is saying, I'm going to buy you back. And Hosea bought his unfaithful wife, wife back. But I want to point now to the end of the book. We're running out of time here. Hosea chapter 14. Again, messages of hope throughout the book. There's, there's many more accusations God brings against his people. 
sins that they had been committing. But ultimately, he gives them this message of hope to end the book. And it's a beautiful thing. Flip to Hosea chapter 14. Look what it says. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in the shadow will again rise, raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. He, his renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. Folks, after all that Israel had done to God, being unfaithful to him, turning from him, indulging in all of these sins, indulging in idol worship, God still says... Here's what you need to do. And if you do it, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to take you back. And, and it, it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling to think of all the sin that they had committed against him. And yet God says, I will take you back if you will return. That's verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Think of repentance here. That 180, turning from your sins and, and coming back. He's saying, put everything away. Put all the idols away. Put all the sins aside. And come back to me. Come back to the only one who can heal you. And he's saying, if you do that, if you say all these things to me, take away our sins, I will do it. I will heal you. I'm the only one who can. And folks, it's no different for us today. The message of Hosea is, is the same for us. If we find ourselves in times where we have we've wandered away, we find ourselves in times of, of sin, we have to return. I think about the prodigal son. He wandered into a far land, but he came to his senses. And what happened? He came back to the father. The father wasn't there, right? No. No, the father was there with open arms, and he was ready, and he threw a party for him. And that's what God is saying well before the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. He's saying, Israel, you got to return to me. And if you do, I will heal you. God's grace never runs out. There's no sin that we could ever commit that God's going to say, all right, it's, it's over for them. We can always come back to God if we will return and we'll repent of our sins and come back. And that's what he's calling for his people to do here. And just amazing love extended to people who were so unfaithful to him. But I think about ourselves a lot. How unfaithful are we to God? And yet he still loves us. And yet he still extends grace to us. Through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to look at the final verses again. These verses right here. He gives us some wisdom at the end of the book. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. I want to ask you this evening as we close up, will you walk or will you stumble? 
You want to walk in God's ways. You want to stumble over them like the Israelites did. I think I know your answer. I think I know you want to walk in God's ways, his righteous and perfect ways. The truth is, though, sometimes we do stumble and falter. But if we do, we can always come back. God is calling us back, and he has purchased us with his son, Jesus Christ. So tonight, if you have a need, you're struggling, you have been walking in sin, God will accept you back if you will truly turn from those sins in sincere repentance. He'll welcome you back home. If you just need prayers for something else, or if you want to join the family of God by being baptized into Jesus Christ, we'd love for you to do that tonight. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.